BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Jarowski show as I speak. It's Friday, December 31st, New Year's Eve, 2021. 2021 is coming to an end. Er, that's the breaks. And 2022 is about to begin. The headlines uh, in the newspapers, the Sun-Times Tribune, uh, and New York Times, all home delivers, say the same thing. Quote, we basically have no news. So we're going to fill the front page with something. Just because we got to fill the front page with something. Man, it is a no news Friday. That's for damn sure. Anyway, we're not going to be discussing the news of the day with my distinguished guests. My sting- distinguished guests and I have planned this show. Well, we at least spent about an hour planning the show, I'd say, uh, all total. Uh, we've been talking about these things all year. So without further ado, for the last time in 2021, I'm going to ask this distinguished guest to introduce herself. Distinguished guest, one more time for 2021, introduce yourself. I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm an assistant metro editor at the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes. That Ramana Hussein, who's been um, a very good friend of me and my humble little show since the very outset. Um Ramana, you hold the record for most appearances on the Ben Jarofsky. Actually, I don't know. Is that true? Uh, Monroe Anderson, you're, you're, you and Monroe Anderson, uh, I'll just say you're tied for most appearances in the Ben Jarofsky show. So thank you very much uh, for the bottom of my heart. Thank you. And it's always a blast talking to you. And um, I know we have a lot of listeners out there who really are big fans of yours. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ramana Hussein. Um, all right, so Ramana and I decided to do something a little different today. Uh, we're going to stay away from news stories. No Jussie Smollett conversations. Although, Ramana, I got to tell you, we have to hold this off for the new next year. This just has got your name written all over. It was a story in the Washington Post. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. A, uh, a legislator, I think it was a state rep in the state of Rhode Island, my old state, where I like grew up before I moved to Evanston, uh, announced on Twitter that she lost 
her black friend. I don't know if you saw this because of critical race. Oh theory. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm on Twitter, Ben. So, so then, you know, I don't know if you knew, but then there was a new hashtag that said, um, I lost my white friend. Yes, I know. And then I got all mixed up because I, I know the new hashtag. <laughs> Cause then I started saying I lost my white friend when it was really, I lost my Eddie. What? Oh, I'm going to write a column about it. It's so twisted and so weird. It just, it's just like the ultimate in white victimhood you get what i'm saying like they're mean to me (laughs) oh god anyway all right we'll uh we'll have that conversation a little later what what we said we were going to do today is uh, run through romana's uh every week romana does a romana recommendation so uh she sort of collected her best of recommendations for 2021 so if you haven't seen uh these shows or movies uh that are on her list i think it's all shows actually uh then you should run to watch them because uh, uh, Romana knows her stuff. And uh, so, Romana, I'm going to let you take it away. I don't know what order you want to do this. Uh, if I, You told me before the show, you, it wasn't like five through one. It was just sort of like your own order. So uh, we'll start off with uh, whatever show you want to begin with, and we'll take it from there. So what's your first show? Okay. I'm, I, I, so I should tell all the listeners, um, first of all, um, I am a huge movie fan, but I feel like, you know, with movies this year, it's hard to pick what the favorites are because some are strictly in theaters and some you can get streaming. So, and then there's some films that I heard of that are really excellent. There's this Japanese movie called Drive My Car. I hope I'm saying the right title, but I've read a lot about it and I've seen it on best lists and it isn't available yet. So, or it might be playing at just one theater. Um, I've only, I have gone to two theaters. I mean, two movies in the theater so far. I've seen um, Belfast and Licorice Pizza at Ben's uh, favorite movie theater, actually, because the movie theater by our house wasn't showing any of these movies. And uh, the one in Evanston closed down recently. So that's, we go to this one that Ben loves that's not too far from us either. Anyway, I, I like Belfast. Um, I know on Richard Roper, my colleagues, it was like his favorite film of the year. I don't know if it'd be my best film of the year. And Licorice Pizza, we're going to discuss Ben. So I, I kept it to shows because I had access to all these shows. So this way, it let me weed out things that I know I wanted to watch. And everything I wanted to watch, I was able to watch. So I did see some good movies. Belfast is a good movie, but I don't know if it's on my best of list. So here I go. And when I say these five, and I have a um, honorable mention at the end too. So these five are just things that I really, really enjoyed um, because of who I am and just because of the content. And they're not like five to one. They're just like five really good shows that I think people should watch. And they might not be for everyone, but I'll tell you why I liked them. The first one um, is the Beatles documentary on Disney Plus, which uh, Ben and I probably talked about way too much. But I, <laughs> I grew up uh, being a Beatles fan, and this is a three-part, eight-hour documentary of the Beatles, you know, in uh, practicing, um, you know, coming up with songs for the Let It Be album. And as we mentioned, it's not for everyone, but if you love the Beatles and know a little bit about the Beatles history, like you really have to really, really like the Beatles to watch it, to get like, you know, the personalities and to see like some of the myths busted about them and the relationship. And then, you know, of course, you know, the things that we know all about them um, also. And so it, it just kind of like was a lens, like you're kind of like a fly on the wall watching them. And, you know, obviously the Beatles are still considered a big band today, 
Um, but in the 60s, I mean, they were huge. I mean, obviously, in 1969, they it wasn't the same, um, you know, craziness that was happening like a few years before, but they were still such a relevant band. And just to watch it unfold, I just thought it was cool. I, I, I thought Peter Jackson did a good job. Yeah, it might be too long for some people, but if you're a Beatles fan, it's a definitely must watch. Um, the film looks so crisp. It looks like they're, you know, obviously they're, they didn't film it today because you look at the fashion and it's totally you know, 60s, pretty cool fashion, I must say. I love that part about the film. But, you know, it's just it's just a very good clean footage that they've gotten. And I thought it was really fun. So that was, um, that's definitely on my list. And Ben, I know we've talked about it. So I don't know if you want to keep me talking about it for a while. No, I just, I want to say, uh, I, I understand why it's on your list. Uh, and I'll say what I've always say when I talk about this documentary. Uh, if you're not a Beatles fan, don't watch it. You will lose your mind and you will hate baby boomers. Uh, and so, because there's a level of self-indulgence that baby, and, and I say this as a boomer, uh, Romana is younger than a boomer. She's not a boomer, but there's a level of, uh, self-indulgence with baby boomers. And by the way, millennials, let me just point this out to you and Z's out there. You too will be where we are. One day you will look back. I know this is hard to believe, especially for you Z's out there. One day, God willing, you live long enough, you will look back with such reverence for the things you loved and watched back in when you were a teenager, when you were in your 20s, and you, it'll just have such a, a resonance for you because it'll be like your best years of your life and you'll wonder what happened to these years and why isn't everything as good as it was then? It's going to happen to you, boomer, uh, millennials. You think you're above it all. I already see it with millennials, by the way. Oh, my God. They talk about uh, hip hop songs from the 90s with the reverence that, you know. Or, two, or 2000s. Yeah, or 2000s. Oh, God. Things were so different. I spent a lot of time with millennials when I was in L.A. Tons of millennials. Places crawling with millennials. And uh, I'm listening to them, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, you guys are like me talking about the Beatles. So this is uh, it, it's a movie for Beatle lovers. If you're not a Beatle lover, don't even waste your time unless you want to be annoyed. And then, you know what I'm saying? Like, just like to watch a movie that you can annoy baby boomers. Yeah, about. I was going to say, um, ba I find baby boomers annoying too, but I still like the Beatles. I mean, I, I am a Generation X Xer, and we always talk about how the boomers never gave the Gen Xers a chance. Not to say there's any Gen Xers out there, but we basically grew up in uh, listening to baby boomer culture. I mean, we were listening to 60s music in the 80s, so I felt like the boomers, like, force it down our throats. But the Beatles are one good thing that the boomers did like. I have to admit that. But I was going to say, if you, even if you find boomers annoying, I think you'll still like it. I, and I don't hate you, Ben. I don't hate, I don't find you annoying. So I think there's a lot of cool boomers out there, but it's de definitely like, it's, um, it is, it is funny to make fun of baby boomers. I admit. Oh my God. I love, no one likes making fun of baby boomers more than me. I love making fun of baby boomers. You got a group of baby boomers together and it's like, Oh my God, you remember the Beatles song when it came out? Sergeant Peppers. Uh, but, uh, no boomers are fun to make fun of, but I'll tell you what, what's happening. It's developing, uh, Ramana. And I'm seeing this with my own eyes. Uh, follow me on this one. So, the relationship between that sort of the resentment, let me back up the, the kind of 
irritation, I would say, that Gen Xers have toward baby boomers. Like, baby boomers don't really treat Gen Xers like peers. It's like you're still our little brothers and sisters. Oh, that's cute. You're a little Gen Xer. You don't really understand. You're trying to understand, but you don't really understand. That is millennials and Zs. I'm telling you right now. I'm watching it in real time going, oh, my goodness, millennials treat Zs. The way boomers treat And the funny thing is people forget the Gen Xers. Everybody always talks about boomers, millennials, boomers and millennials. And so the the joke is that the Gen Xers are like the middle child. Everybody's like, hey, what about us? So we're not even discussed about in these like, you know, in these discussions. Like even like I think um, some of my uh, friends who are my age and have kids, their parents, you know, whenever they're like having some sort of little argument, like a a friendly argument, their kids will say to them, okay, boomer. And they're like, we're not even baby boomers. We're like Gen Xers. So um, (laughs) they don't even, you know, they don't even like insult Uh, them with the right, like, you know, generation. So that's, that's quite funny. It is funny. And I'll tell you where I really see it is in uh, my beloved uh, basketball. Before we move on to your next uh, list, uh, basketball, the gen, the Zs tend to wear their shorts shorter, and the millennials wear them longer. And so millennials comment, "Oh, there's a Z. Look at his shorts," or like, "Oh, uh, I really that's a that's such a Z look with that hairstyle." And then you get like millennials trying to look Z, like Dwight Howard. I see you. You're not a Z. So stop trying to look like a Z, okay? You're millennial, and you're an older millennial. Sorry, I went on a tangent within a tangent. Uh, anyway, I'm with you 100% of the Beatles as uh, a, a shameless uh, baby boomer. I loved indulging in uh, the Beatles. I love the Beatles just, uh, just like you do, Romana. So what's next on your list? So since we're on the theme of sports, uh, I would bring up Muhammad Ali documentary, by Ken Burns. Now that was on PBS. Um, if anybody caught it, it was a four or five, five part series, I think, or four part, I'm forgetting, but it was several parts, four parts. And I just thought it was really, really fascinating because, you know, we have a lot of parallels, um, in society these days, you know, you look at Muhammad Ali and, and, uh, you know, he was a very outspoken black athlete. And, you know, as soon as he got political, everybody, most of America, most of white America turned on him. And, you know, he basically had his title stripped and, you know, you know, and then this, you know, he's going through this transformation about, you know, his ties to the nation of Islam and just, just him trying to find out who he is and just his um, charisma mixed in with his defiance. It's just a really great documentary. And this documentary doesn't gloss over his flaws either you know he wasn't a very faithful husband to his uh, I think he was married like four times um so you know they they talked about you know his issues that he had also and but I thought they did a really great documentary and you come away from it you know just looking at this and you're like wow this was a remarkable person I think He's one of those figures that I think if you, you know, I know there's a lot of athletes that you can, you know, show a picture of all around the world and people will know who he is, but social media has definitely helped, you know, get people, get people all over the world to know who people are. But this is in the sixties and seventies and there's no social media then there was a regular media and Muhammad Ali could go anywhere in the world and people knew who he was. And it's just, it's just a remarkable documentary. I think it's great. And then, you know, when I talked about his, 
you know, him speaking out, it reminded me a lot about the pushback Colin Kaepernick is getting today in this day and age. And it was really funny to watch, not funny, but just interesting to watch the documentary about how the same people who denounced Muhammad Ali for speaking out, for being proud of his blackness. And then years later, they're like, you know, whoa, this guy's great. Like, I think Richard J. Daly was one of those people, you know, he wouldn't let him box in Chicago. And then, you know, a few years later, they're like, oh, an American hero. And, you know, his story is so American. And it's, you know, it's really interesting. And, and, and it's for me as, as a Muslim American, it's like people always treat us as foreign. And I'm like, hey, this is like one of your biggest legends in, in the country. And he was a Muslim American. And I, I just thought, I just thought, I think the documentary did such a great job. And I thought the footage that they had of him, I mean, they had like clips of him or at least pictures of him in high school that, I, you know, I never saw before. And those are just amazing. And we're just talking about the Beatles. I mean, Muhammad Ali took, you know, had a photo shoot with the Beatles too, just to show you how big both of these, um, you know, forces were. Um, I, I just thought it was a, a very enjoyable documentary. There's definitely parts of it that make you very sad. Um, and, you know, contemplate about what being an American or, you know, just dissent in this country. It, it was it was just really powerful to me. I'm with you 100 uh, percent. We've talked about I don't think I talked about it with you on the show, but uh, did several uh, episodes about the Muhammad Ali documentary uh, for a while. It was required conversation topics for my guests would come on, even if they haven't seen it. Uh, and it's very similar, uh, going back to the baby boomer theme, uh, the Beatles, Muhammad Ali is right up there with the Beatles for baby boomers. He's one of the most towering, influential uh, people of the, of the 60s and 70s when baby boomers were growing up. Uh, and um, I have watched with just amazement the way in which... American culture has just sort of absorbed uh, Muhammad Ali. And I see it happening with uh, the, the strongest parallel is with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. But I, I'll stick with Ali for the moment. It's how American culture neutralizes uh, a, a scary black person. And when I say scary black person, I'm talking about scary, frightening to white people. And Muhammad Ali was very, was like a challenging figure for white people to accept his entire career. Even Ramana, before he uh, became Muslim and changed his name from Cassius Clay. I, I, one of some of my earliest memories is listening to my father, who is a boxing fan, explain to me that this Cassius Clay was a fascinating figure figure because he was not the gentleman Jim boxer that uh, America had come to accept. Like you have a, when a black man beats a white man in the ring, that's scary to white people. And so the black person who does the beating has to carry himself in such a way as not to frighten America, white America, or he won't get endorsements or maybe he won't get money. You get what I'm saying? It's like it challenges the psyche. Of that's course. what the whole notion of the great white hope is all about. So here was Muhammad Ali, he didn't play the game. Even when he was Cassius Clay, he had a lot to say. He was talking. He was saying he was the greatest. And then he then he becomes a Muslim. Man, that blew everybody's <laughs> freaking mind. And, uh, I mean, wow. So Americans, they didn't like him. No. And all of a sudden, when he couldn't talk anymore, they started loving him. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? When the Parkinson's overwhelmed, he couldn't talk and he couldn't, he couldn't be controversial and his image softened. Oh, now we love Muhammad. I'm like, I'm like, you're just going to bury the everything. You're just more a burying of history. And I'll tell you what, this documentary brought it all out. I thought yeah, that's, that's what a, I really, that's, that's a great point of how the Parkinson's disease kind of robbed him of, you know, his gift. And, you know, he would, he was, he was great. He was like so charismatic on the mic and, that would totally like, you know, you watching the footage of him, like talking about how great he was and, you know, his confidence and his swagger. And you could look at the white male journalist kind of like, whoa, you know, what is this? Like they looked, they looked um, intimidated. I think that's a good word. And it's, it was interesting. Like even the journalists who think they're big and tough, like, you know, they were just like, whoa, whoa, you know, he's not like, you know, quiet and, you know, just grateful to be out there in the ring. He's just telling us he's the best. And, yeah, I was annoyed at the journalist who was a fellow journalist who would refuse to like call him Muhammad Ali and they would write in the papers, Cassius Clay, you know, they would not say his name, you know, the way, he, you know, even though he changed his name, they don't want to use it. So that just, that was like a way of like showing like white supremacy, like, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what you say your name is. So yeah, I think that's a great point. The fact that, you know, once he started getting sick or, you know, started in the Parkinson's disease, started taking a hold of him. They started looking at him as like this gentle figure who couldn't. And it, it was, it, it, it's just crazy. But um, I mean, while him watch, watching him like light that um, Olympic torch was just, you know, almost tears came to my eyes about just like how he was so reviled. And like, you know, now that he's like this old man who can barely walk and talk. And it's just, um, it was sad. Well, I, I, I will share one of my obsessions, uh, you've gotten to know me uh, over the last couple of years, Ramana, you know I have obsessions. And uh, one of them, which I will have until the day I die, or until my brain stops working, has to do with that torch. And so listeners are going to have to put up with this one one more time because I'm going to say it. In 1996, Muhammad Ali was given the role of lighting the Olympic torch at the Atlanta Games. Uh, and uh, that was a, just a, a very emotional moment. Uh, and there he was, he was, his hand is shaking cause the Parkinson's, but he got that torch. He held it. It was amazing that he got it together. Muhammad Ali, what, what, like going in the ring one more time. And, uh, Bob Costas, who was doing the, the play by play for NBC at the time, uh, of the opening ceremony has talked about how in 1960, Muhammad, Ali, then a young Cassius Clay at age 18, won a gold medal. And uh, in in the uh, Olympics in Rome, uh, and uh, he lost that medal. But there's apocryphal story that he threw it into the uh, a river, the Ohio River, to protest racism in America. But that's just an apocryphal story. The reality is he lost it, that medal. And you got to understand, Romana, as a kid who just grew up obsessed with Muhammad Ali, I'm like screaming at the TV. It's not an apocryphal story. Muhammad Ali, it's his story. He put it in the greatest. It's like 20 pages in the greatest, his his autobiography about how he threw that medal in a protest. Apocryphal means you don't, unknown origin. Well, you, we know the origin. You could say, well, he made the story up that he didn't really throw it in the river. You could just, just but it's his story. And that to me, Ramana symbolized how white America is just once Muhammad Ali couldn't talk, they started putting words into his mouth. You get what I'm saying? Like once Parkinson robbed him of his voice, they said, oh, we're just going to put what we want to hear coming out of you. Yeah. You know, I'm like, no, you're going to say he didn't throw the medal in the river. He said he threw it in the river. Who the hell are you, Bob Costas, to say? 
You know what I'm saying? Bob Cos as well. Well, it's just an apocryphal story. But and that was my one gripe with uh, my one gripe with uh, we'll move on from this with Ken Burns is that he didn't even address that issue. And I saw an interview with him where he goes, he thinks it's a made up story. Oh, and he yeah. just didn't think it was worth, you know. Yeah, I'm like, you oh, did. That's you did nice, a, you Ken Burns. You think? Yeah, you did a column on it, right? Yes, I did. I did because I'm utterly obsessed. No, I've I mean, done like five columns. <laughs> no, that's good. It's a good point. But to, to be to defend Ken Burns, he can't get everything in there, right? But that's a, you. You have a good argument. Maybe one day when you have Ken Burns on, you can put him on the hot yeah. Seat. Okay, bro. He'll be ducking and dodging like like Muhammad Ali in the ring. Uh, all right, let's move on. What's your, uh, oh, by the way, I have to say this, since you mentioned Muhammad Ali, we're talking about, uh, Muslims in America. It was, I got to give a shout out to Ramana Hussein. She recommended this movie. Uh, and it's not from this year. It's a documentary, uh, who, uh, who killed Malcolm X. Boy, I spent a lot of time this year talking about that with various guests. Uh, and I found it fascinating on so many levels. Uh, Muhammad Ali, um, you know, was a very like I said, he was not a perfect man. I think he was cruel to Malcolm X. Oh, yeah. Actually, I do believe True. he was cruel to Malcolm X, the way he turned on him. But I, I just, um, you're. I want to thank you, Ramana, for recommending it. You're and I finally got around to watching it. And uh, Abdur Rahman Muhammad, who is sort of the star of the movie, of the. Um, he is a tour guide who spent like 20 years of his life investigating the uh, the murder of Malcolm X. We had Peter Goldman on the show who wrote a book, The uh, Death and Life of uh, Malcolm X. And uh, he was critical of the movie. And I think a lot really? of journalists are. Yeah, he was because he's a journalist. Goldman, yeah. uh, I mean, he's a great journalist. But uh, I'll give you this. Uh, journalist of a certain generation. uh they it's it's all about just reporting like the quote unquote facts and uh narratives aren't as important to him and in the movie in the documentary uh is sort of framed as abdur rahman muhammad coming to terms with the fact that this man uh malcolm x who he loves and reveres was killed by other black muslims and that's a really difficult thing so it's like a personal story you know, uh, and so he can't really reconcile. And the man who pulled the trigger, probably pulled the trigger, is revered. That's also in the uh, documentary. And so it's really a struggle for him to understand why uh, black people in Newark, New Jersey, would revere the man who killed Malcolm X. Uh, so a lot of people make fun of the movie if, in that regards because you know it's so personalized with Abdur Rahman Muhammad. But I found it very moving. Uh, do you re I know it's not on your list, but I just had to say no. Shout out to Ramana Hussein <laughs> for that one. You, Thank you. you. you I, I love that doc. I think it came out in 2019. I don't think it came out in 2020, or if it did, it was like before the pandemic. I don't remember watching it during the pandemic, but I don't know. Is it was it 2019? I'm not sure. I'll have to check after the show. I remember you urging me to watch it, and I was like, okay, okay. And I never <laughs> did. All right, what's next on your list? Okay, so I know we're talking way too much about my people, but the next show also is about it's a show about an all female Muslim punk band. It's called We Are Lady Parts, and that is streaming on Peacock. And I just found out a few days ago that it was renewed for a second season. Um, I actually was kind of like, okay, do I want to watch this? Do I not want to watch this? And the reason I say that is because there's so few 
shows, I tell this to my husband, Mick, who is uh, not South Asian. Um, and I, you know, didn't grow up Muslim, but I always tell him that, you know, whenever there is a show that focuses on my community, it's written by, it's written in a way that makes it palatable to the wider audience, i.e. the white audience. And it, you know, it kind of, I was listening to a show where they were talking about We Are Lady Parts. And they were saying the one thing they liked about the show and one thing I have to say I liked about the show is that it doesn't pander to a white audience. It doesn't try to make them feel good or try to go out of their way to explain things to them. Um, so I, I, I kept reading reviews and people are like, let's watch it. And I ended up watching and I liked it. So it's basically about this. Um, it kind of focuses on this kind of like nerdy girl. Um, and she's very nerdy, but the one good thing is that she can play guitar. So she joins this punk band and it's this all, um, female, almost some female punk band, as I mentioned. And it kind of just shows they're like, you know, they're trying to like get their band together and play this show. And it, you know, kind of weaves in their lives at the same time. And it doesn't over explain things. And, you know, these women aren't ashamed of who they are. That's what, or they're, they're not trying to be someone who they aren't. They're all kind of different in a way. And it kind of just shows you, um, you know, there's a lot of relatable things in there. Like a lot, you know, every show you're not going to be like, oh, God, I can totally see myself. But I, I like the fact that it didn't try to whitewash these women's experience or have too many white characters like coming in and everybody being in awe of the white character, which I see a lot in a lot of shows involving Indian and or Muslims where it's like, oh, I don't want to be myself anymore. I want to be a white person. And nobody's saying that nobody struggles. But that's one thing I find a lot like. Mindy Kaling, who I do like her new show, Never Have I Ever, or Never Have, I don't know, I forgot, I like that show a lot, but sometimes I feel like she's kind of pandering to, like, a white audience to explain things. There's, just to give you an example, there's this one scene in Mindy Kaling's show last season, her daughter's a teenage girl, she runs out and she gets her nose pierced and her mom gets mad at her. And her mom's, they're Indian. I'm like, my mom pierced my nose for me at 19. She was like willingly wanting to pierce my nose because it's a very Indian thing. It's not considered punk for, in, you know, for Indian people to get their nose pierced. I mean, it's considered cultural. So it's really funny. It's like, no Indian mom. Indian moms would be happy if you got your nose pierced. So I was like telling Mick, I'm like, see, that is pandering to a white audience because only a, a white person would be mad about that. Like, you know, my mom would be mad if I got a tattoo or if I got some other things done, but I go, my nose pierced, you'd be like, that's great. You're like embracing your culture. So stuff like that. So what, when, when I saw We Are Lady Parts, it's a cute show. Um, you know, Mick actually watched it with me. That's one of the jokes I tell you about um, how Mick doesn't watch a lot of shows with me because he's very picky about his shows, but he likes music. So he ended up watching with me. It's a quick watch. Um, Peacock, I don't really have it. So I actually bought it for like temporarily just to watch the show. And it was cool. It was cute. It was British. So it's like one of those shows where it's good if you put the subtitles on just to watch it. So it was fun. I know you haven't seen it, Ben. I, I think you'd like I it. haven't seen it. I don't have Peacock. I think I subscribe to everything in the world but that one. I'm paying for ev everything. Uh, and um, except for Disney, I want to give a shout out to Frank. Uh, I, one of my listeners was so kind to let me share his account. Uh, and that's how I got to see the, uh, the Beatles, uh, documentary, but, uh, I have this on a list and it, this is one of the, like the, uh, Malcolm X documentary. It'll be one of those things like three years from now, I'll tell Romana, there's this show, uh, <laughs> we are lady parts. And you'll go, Ben, I told you about that in the year 2021. Uh, 
and uh, you will be right. Uh, by the way, so since we're talking about uh, your people, let me talk about my people just briefly. I, man, and I know you share this love. Larry David, I don't give him enough love. Larry David is an extraordinary guy. Uh, he's just so unafraid, uh, Ramana, just to, to expose himself. Not literally expose himself like naked, but just expose himself as this weirdo, you know, uh, curmudgeon, conniving. He's always conniving, selfish. It's like the worst attributes that all of us have buried somewhere within us that we won't show. But he shows it. You get what I'm saying? And Larry David, of course, the star of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I always call it the Larry David Show, even though it's called Curb Your Enthusiasm. And I don't watch it on a regular basis, as I was telling you before. Uh, I just kind of, like, drop in every now and then. I'll put on a show. I'll just randomly put on a show just to see what he's up to. So he had this one that I saw when I was in L.A. with uh, my family. And it was about, uh, what was it? The, uh, it was a Jewish guy who had become a Jew. Oh, he's an actor in the play that Larry Davis. He was a Jewish guy who had become a Jew for Jesus. And the scene in which the Jews, Larry and his friends are all Jewish, sitting around talking about it was so priceless because it was so true. If you ever hear Jewish people, just like a group of Jews talking about Gentiles, it is like, and he go, uh, what did he say? I, he goes, uh, we lost one. And we, we lost, I don't know if Muslims talk about that that way, but that's, we lost one. I'm, every now and then, Ramon, I'll be walking down the street and I'll think of, uh, I don't know if it was Larry David who said it or Jeff Garland, or, uh, maybe it was the Vince Vaughn guy who's supposedly Jewish in the show. I'm not really sure about that in real life, but anyway, uh, we lost one because <laughs> the Jewish guy, uh, accepted Jesus as his savior. We lost one. So I think Larry, I can't give a shout out to Larry David. He's just, he endures in my humble opinion. And you're a fan too, right? Yeah. I, I, unlike you, I actually watched the show and I've watched every single episode since it came out in, I think forgot when early two thousands, I've watched every single season and it, I don't know if you know, but the seasons are very uneven. Like there's several years later, like a new season. I didn't even know there was a new season this year until like one day I was just um, on Twitter or on like, you know, my Google and I saw Larry David or Kirby or enthusiasm trending. I'm like, what? And then I, I texted all my, si you know, my siblings who watch it. I'm like, my older sister doesn't watch it, but me and my younger siblings do. And we've watched every single episode. I'm like, did you guys know Kirby Your Enthusiasm restarted again? So I'm caught up. But yeah, um, this, this season and I've seen other, like I've seen actually articles about it, like his Jewish, um, you know, background comes up a lot. Like there was one episode where, you know, he's, he's at uh, some event. He didn't want to go to this event. It was like uh, these, these, this couple re renewing their vows. And uh, there was the <laughs> Jewish guy performing something. I don't know, taking pictures. I think that's what it was videotaping. And then, you know, he was, he was sleeping or doing something that he shouldn't have been doing. And he was caught on videotape and the guy's like, I'm not changing the tape. I'm not like, you know, retape him. And then he found out like the guy's name was a Jewish name. He's like, come on, you're Jewish. I'm Jewish. Give do me a favor because of our like cultural background. And then the other guy's like, okay. So it's like, there's a lot of actually uh, Jewish references. Um, and as, as we, I've mentioned on the show before, I've, um, I grew up with uh, in a mostly Jewish neighborhood at the time. My neighborhood is mostly Jewish. So I understand a lot of the, the jokes and you know i always thought like when seinfeld came out like they were supposed to be jewish right i remember me and my siblings and friends 
where like it's like they're totally Jewish. Like it's like they don't talk about it, but it's like it's there, and we knew it was there. And Kirby enthusiasm is like a Seinfeld, but on a different level. Um, you know, it's like a HBO level um, Seinfeld. And yeah, he is a total misanthrope. He doesn't like people. And it's really funny because I totally like people. And, you know, he, he always wants to get away from social activities like Jeff Garland. Like, you know, he hates that guy. You know, Susie, who's a great character. Like, you know, she's she's so funny and uh, literally hates her. And it's just like, it's like the, the, the back and forth is really funny. That's actually a show I'm watching too. I, you know, the pandemic has made me watch a lot of shows. But this was always on my list. It's just, there are just too many shows to pick from, but that is definitely one of my favorites as well. Well, what I would say this about Seinfeld versus uh, Curb. Uh, Seinfeld came out, I think, early, early 90s. I think 80s, even. And, maybe 89. Oh, was it 80, late 80s? Okay. Late 80s, maybe. Uh, my memory is... Yeah. My memory is funny. I have a memory of, of watching Seinfeld for the first time when uh, everything in my mind is linked to the Bulls. When Michael Jordan and the Bulls were first making that move to win the championship. It's kind of linked in my mind. That's why I say 1990, but whatever. Um, the, I think that in 1990 or 89, whenever it came out, the networks were afraid to have overtly Jewish characters because they thought that the larger Gentile society would reject them. And it's so funny because in Hollywood, there's Jewish people who are producers, there's Jewish people who own studios, there's Jewish people who are writers, there's Jewish people who are actors, uh, directors, etc., and so forth. Uh, obviously, it's a community where Jewish people have done very well. And yet, this is so Larry David, they don't want to offend it's like, this is what it's like to be a Jew in a, in, in a uh, minority uh, in a country that's Christian. You don't want to offend the Christians. Exactly. Do you follow what I'm saying? So we're not going to say they're Jewish because the Christians might turn on. They may not watch it. You know what I mean? And there's always that fear that anti-Semitism is out there. So I think they held back. You know, like I'm not like George, the character played George, the actor himself is Jewish. But I think George Costanza, I think it's like a, he's Greek or something. I don't know. I, I can't remember anymore. But Larry David, he's like, the hell with that. I'm going to be Jewish. I'm going to say I'm Jewish. My friends are Jewish. And we're going to talk about uh, Christians and Gentiles and Goys. And and then there was that thing where he was fantasized about the Muslim lady. I don't know if you saw <laughs> yeah, I did see that one. Uh, the Palestinian, that was a Palestinian chicken uh, episode. So I remember yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I don't know. It's liberating to a certain degree. No, uh, no, that's, I, so to I, me, I, that's I, why. I totally agree because that's the thing. And that's the thing with a lot of these, you know, there's, there hasn't been that many shows on Muslims or South Asians. And, and I was telling my husband this and, you know, I don't know, I sense sometimes it goes over his head. I go, these things, these shows are like totally made for people like these are Indians who don't like themselves and they just want to have white friends. And I'm like, that's not realistic. I go, you know, yeah, there probably are Indians like that, but I don't want shows about that, you know? And so I understand that whole thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like Kirby enthusiasm. And I was going to tell you while you were talking, I looked it up. The Malcolm X documentary came out in February, 2020. So it was right before the pandemic. So I was going to say, I don't remember watching okay. it during the pandemic. So it came out right before the pandemic and Seinfeld started in 1989. 89. Wow. Okay. That was that first year where it was stumbling. Uh, 
I, and I missed that. That's why my memory is pretty good when I link it to Bulls because I didn't I didn't start watching it till like after it was a year out. I wasn't well, I wasn't uh, at the uh, the foreground front of that. All right, what's next on your list? Okay, so we're just talking about British shows now. My I'm I'm like having things that kind of just rolling into the other one. The next show I started watching this year after hearing about it for like so long from others. But I started Ted Lasso this year, which also had a um, had a new season this year. And Ted Lasso, and we're just talking about, you know, regular Christian people. So it's a regular Christian white guy. He's a football coach um, in uh, the United States. He's a college football uh, coach. He gets recruited to um, coach a soccer team. And the whole background theme is that this woman who owns the soccer team she got into a nasty divorce with her husband and he loved that soccer team, but she ended up getting the soccer team and she wants them to fail. So she hires this guy who knows nothing about soccer, which is football in um, British. <laughs> so he comes and he like coaches and, you know, he's this really kind of like optimistic kind of hokey guy. I know it sounds, he's really like upbeat and I, the show actually works. And he, you know, the, these um, soccer slash football players end up like really liking him. So it's a, you know, most of the cast is British, but, you know, Ted Lasso is American. So there's a few American characters, but there's a lot of British characters. I also suggest to put subtitles on when you watch it, because, you know, sometimes with the accents, I whenever there's a British cast or Irish cast, I'm like, I'm putting the English subtitles on, even though I know I can understand 80% of it. But sometimes there's like things where I'm like, what do they say? Or they say it a little differently. But um, Ted Lasso it really works. I, I know you. I, it's on Apple TV. I'm, I'm mentioning all the streaming um, platforms in case nobody knows um, where these shows are coming on. But it's really fun and it's cute. And I'm I, I do have cynicism inside of me, and I am very satiric, you know. But it, sometimes it's nice to watch a show where the characters are nice. I know Ben, we're going to talk about Succession. This is like the anti-Succession because a lot of the people on this show like. They're, they're, they're human. They're, 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 there are a lot of nice people on the show. There are obviously a lot of bad people, but it kind of, it kind of makes you optimistic. And a lot of people said it really helped them during the pandemic because it just like, it was just a positive show. And the show is actually not, you know, he, the character is a very positive character, but he also has a dark past. So it, it kind of touches on his dark past as well. So, um, I don't know. I, I thought I think it's a fun show, and I recommend. I've been recommending it. Once you know, a lot of people recommended it, recommending it to me, and I was like, uh, sure, I'll watch it. And then you know, it finally it took me a couple months. I was kind of like you on a lot of shows, and a lot of you know, sometimes just hesitating. And I finally started watching, and I'm like, whoa, this is great. I had to actually stop myself from going on Twitter because I was like totally behind everybody else, and then. People would tweet about things. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to know about this. And, you know, they would, you know, even in like in the single tweet or if I saw something trending, I'm like, I don't, I can't watch it because I don't want to know what it's about. But I, I would recommend that. I think Ben, you would like it if you haven't watched, started it already. I, I haven't watched it at all because I don't have, uh, uh, what was it? Did you say Apple? Yeah. I don't have it. Uh, so, um, any listeners out there want to give me their pass? I, I actually feel free. Gave, I, gave, I thought I gave you my sister's account, but. But you're free to. Use. Oh, did you? I don't know. Maybe you did. I forgot. Uh, and I also ordered. I think I told you this. I ordered it on Netflix discs. It hasn't come oh, out yet. Okay. I know it's really lame. I think I got discs through the mail. Um, but uh, I so I can't comment on Ted Lasso because I haven't seen it. Just uh, the fact that you like it, and and my wife wants to watch it. But I will talk about Succession briefly. Uh, succession. I'm behind on Succession. Man, to me. 
um, I, I succession uh, resonates because the father in succession reminds me so much of my own father. Really? He wasn't, my father wasn't wealthy. Yeah. But my father was a yeller. Uh, and so in, in, in the movie, uh, or the TV show, he's a yeller. <laughs> he starts barking and, and all the kids come to command. I was like, Oh my God, this is really close to home. Uh, and, um, and, and also it shows in my opinion, um, how self-hating liberals are. And I'm going to say liberals are, and this is why, this is the point I'm going to make. So you're somewhere in season two. I've seen the first two yeah. seasons. There's three episodes, three seasons. Um, so there's a character in um, season, uh, in succession, uh, who's sort of the arch rival, the political rival, uh, or the enemy of this fabulously wealthy uh, family that's uh, modeled on the Murdochs. They own all these uh, right-wing uh, newspaper and TV outlets. Uh, and it's per- played by Eric Bogosian. Uh, and he's supposed to be a Bernie Sanders figure, but he's the most un-Bernie Bernie figure yeah. at all. He's the biggest wimp. And he's the quintessential liberal wimp. And uh, he never gets a good line in. He's always getting... Uh, destroyed in terms of like their little exchanges with when the, the the rich family they always put him down they mock him they insult him right to his face and he he's like quivering yeah i don't know what to say and i'm like this this show i presume is written by liberals who um don't like uh the murdochs of the world but they are in uh, awe of them because the the rich, powerful, wealthy people always get what they want, and liberals just are helpless to stop them. And so this Eric Bogosian character, who is most definitely not like Bernie Sanders, I always talk to you about the difference between liberals and lefties. This is a quintessential liberal, and uh, I, I just I, I I can't. This show annoys me for that reason. I, are you ever going to let like a lefty get a good comeback in? Or are you just going to let the right wing just pound you away, liberals who make this show? Because you, you hate yourself so much because you think it's there's something weak about caring about poor people and inequity. So that's my thoughts on succession. Your response. No, I agree. I mean, I, I, I hesitated, you know, like just with Ted Lasso, I heard a lot of people talking about succession. I saw succession trending. And then, you know, we heard about that one interview from the guy who plays the Kendall character in New Yorker. And I was like, I was all confused about it because all these actors are coming to his defense and everybody was talking about it on Twitter. And I'm like, I have no idea what this is about. These people just sound like over the top, excessively rich white people. Do I really want to watch this? And then you told me you were watching it and asked me about it. And then my brother started watching it and told me to watch it. And he's like, oh, you'll recognize all these like characters. Like, you know, we see the guy who played Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He plays the oldest son. And then, um, you know, Macaulay Culkin's brother plays one of the, the siblings on there. So my brother's like, no, just watch it. So my brother's watching it, you know. So he told me to watch it. And I trust you and him in terms of pop culture. So I started watching it. And it's like you're kind of hate watching these people because these people are so despicable and you're like, oh my God, are people really that bad? It's kind of like House of Cards where you're like, oh my God, these people are terrible and you know they don't care what they do or who they do it to. And it's just kind of like a, 
a, a crazy, like a crazy house of rich people. And you're like, Oh my God, these people are crazy, but I, I am watching it. And I'm almost done with um, season two. I'm on like episode eight of season two. So I'm almost caught up with you, Ben. And I did watch the Eric Bogosian character as well. I don't know if you saw the, you know, the episode where they, I don't know if you ever watched perfect strangers with Balky. And <laughs> just like, this is a show in the eighties. Like it was about, it was actually, I think it was based in Chicago and there's, there's this character that comes from a foreign country and he lives with his uh, cousin. I think that, you know, we don't know where the foreign country was a made up country, but it was totally sounded like someplace in Greece. But anyway, uh, the, the cousin who worked at a newspaper in Chicago, I think it was based in the Sun Times. His name was Larry, cousin Larry. Anyway, cousin Larry was one of the rich family, was one of the rich family members. So there are a lot of famous people in Holly Hunt's in it right now. Um, one of the episodes I'm watching. So I'm watching it. So I, I did get sucked, sucked into it. So that's another show that we're watching. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. And, and it, it, the payoff and I won't give it anyway, we'll move on. The final episode uh, of season two has a great payoff. So uh, you have something, it, uh, you have something to look forward to. Uh, all right. What you got next? Okay. And so my fifth show, my fifth and last show, but I have to tell you, I do have a, um, runners up or a honorable mention at the end, um, which is kind of like four shows in one. But um, so my last show that I'm going to talk about is Reservation Dogs. And now that is the last TV series that I started and finished within the last week. I saw it with um, Mick, my husband, um, who enjoyed it as well. I had been hearing a lot of buzz about this show um, throughout the year. It's a show about a group of teenagers who live on a reservation um, in Oklahoma, I could be wrong, but they um, live at a reservation and they want to go to California following the death of one of their friends. And it's a Native American group. Um, I've heard a lot about the show because the writers are all Native American, indigenous. The cast was mostly indigenous. I don't know if you recognize Bill Burr as a driving instructor in um, one of the one of the close one of the latter episodes. Um, it was, it was just great. I mean, and, you know, and that, that was the one thing I was hearing a lot about the show and it, what it does is like, you know, usually in the past when we would see Nate, when we see native American characters, they're either presented as, you know, these people that you're going to battle, like in a lot of Westerns. And then in more modern history, they always show this native American just kind of like show up and he just like gives, you know, it's usually a guy on a horse, you know, in wearing the costume, you know, we're not, I shouldn't say costume, but we're wearing traditional clothes and, you know, giving wisdom and then running off. I don't know if you ever saw the Doors movie, um, you know, the Oliver Stone Doors movie and Jim Morrison always sees like this Native American come up. I remember when I was younger, I thought the movie was great. And then when I got older, I'm like, this is so pretentious. Like some Native American just shows up and gives words of wisdom. And it, it's just, and, and that's one of the things I heard, like the creators were trying to defy. We're like, we're actual human beings. We're not like people who are like, you know, we have our culture and our traditions and usually we're presented as these people who just like show up and like, you know, ha and then they have that stereo, you know, they have that character actually who comes in as like, you know, to give words of wisdom to the characters. And I think that's kind of an inside joke, you know, so I, I liked it a lot because I did, I did think that it treated Native Americans as human beings. They're human beings just like everyone else. They have the, you know, they kind of focus on different characters and different episodes and they show that they're people just like anybody else. And I, I like that about that. We don't see that many shows focusing on the indigenous community. I mean, this is one of the communities that, you know, this is a very important community in the United States and we don't see enough of that or enough of, 
you know, Native Americans on the screen. We see them on the screen, but only in like these categorized ways. And so I, I, I liked it a lot. And, you know, I, you really felt for all the characters that were on here, especially the teenagers. I thought they were the teenagers are great. They actually look like teenagers. And I think that those, those kids did a really, really excellent job, I think. I'm with you 100%. Uh, it, it was, I told you it was my favorite show of the year. I can't uh, recommend it enough. It's um, such great satire. It's so funny. Uh, and, and at the same time, there's painful parts to it. Yes. Uh, that one episode at the health center, which was centered around the health center, it was just, the, oh, my God. Um, what's, uh, Bobby, um, what's his name? The actor, I just blanked on his name, played the doctor, the burnt out doctor. That guy's oh, a the, the Asian American doctor, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, 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 I, I always tell people the closest show I've seen to it is like Atlanta is, is Atlanta, which is another one of my favorites where you have a cast of characters, a group of friends just sort of meandering through their life, mostly getting high. There's a lot of reefer in this show and a lot of reefer, uh, sort of like a celebration of getting high in many ways. It's just as is Atlanta. And I just can't recommend it enough. Um, and you're, I don't want to give away anything other than to say uh, Ron, Ramon and I are 100% and uh, we, we totally agree uh, on this show. The thing about the white Jesus and the church. Yeah. I oh, just, yeah. I just, every time I'm that, I think about it. Like, like they view, there's a church and there's a Jesus, a picture of Jesus on there. And he's depicted as a white person. And so they just all call him the white Jesus. And you just look at it from the perspective of a Native American. You're not white. And you had your culture, and you had your country, and this group, these Europeans came, and they gave you like a a whole a religion that you're supposed to follow, and a a god you're supposed to follow, and they clearly the irreverence uh, expressed there by just because you told me to follow this doesn't mean I'm going to believe it. So anyway, I, I can't recommend it. Yeah, it was, it's really good. Uh, I know you want to close. Yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say it really, it's really good because it does touch upon um, issues that, you know, that affected the Native American community because of what has happened in this history of this country. I think it was really good. So my, my, I'm going to be really quick at the end. I have just a special recognition because I can't, you know, mention all this, but the K-dramas were a big hit for me this year. I watched a lot of Korean shows, uh, including Squid Games, Hellbound, the show called Move to Heaven and My Name. I've been watching just a lot of Korean uh, pop culture. I just think it's great. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of the Korean pop culture, but you know, the, the Korean bands that are really popular right now, BTS, I think. I'm not really that um, up on it, but I hear about it all the time. I just think um, the Squid Games uh, show was really cool. Um, uh, Hellbound was a, it wasn't my favorite, but it's definitely interesting. I think it's going to get picked up for another season. I think Squid Game's going to get picked up again. And I don't know. I just think I just think Korea right now, um, or South Korea, I would say, right, is just it's just pounding them out. It's it's just it's just fascinating. I just I was like thinking about it. I know I figured you would have Squid Games on your list, or we're going to mention Squid Games, but I I just think it's cool how. Um, you know, people are watching international shows now. I mean, it, it, there was a time where nobody wanted to watch um, foreign films because they was a different language and they didn't want to read subtitles. But as I told you, I read subtitles even with British shows. So 
it's not that much work, people. And this, this, you know, just to show you Squid Games, we were talking a little bit about Larry David and Seinfeld. You know, people always said that, you know, audi- American audiences don't want to watch people of color. They don't want to watch, you know, an all black cast doesn't work an all Asian cast doesn't work. It, a Native American cast doesn't work. Clearly with these shows, as we're talking about, it does work. You know, there are good shows out there and you can show different people and different cultures and people will watch it as we've seen squid games kind of take hold of, you know, Netflix all over the world. So that, that was my honorable mention, just saying that, you know, the, the K dramas were just cool. I'm going to keep watching them. Um, as, as we go on and that does, and that doesn't, you know, I just don't watch Korean dramas. I, I've been watching Turkish shows and other shows as well. I know you told me you were watching a Polish show um, about this teacher or was it, I forgot, was it Romanian? I, I was going to watch No, it was that. Danish. Yeah, Danish, sorry. Um, but yeah, it, I, I thought those were really great. And um, so I'm just closing out, out with that, with the honorable. Well, record. you know, I, 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 I'm going to say this about Squid Games uh, and shows and movies I've seen made by South Korean directors. And I say, I emphasize South Korea. Yeah. South Korea. Um, and I'll put parasite, uh, in this category, the movie. I, we live in a country. We talk about this, uh, Ramana from time to time. We live in a country that reveres wealth and we live in a country that puts, if you're rich, you're on a, uh, a pedestal you're you must be doing something great because you're rich uh and we our country has like a hostile attitude uh toward poor people and a hostile attitude toward people who say government should help the poor and that's what succession in so many ways promotes that's the irritating political end of succession an adoration of wealth the thing i like about one of the things i like about these south korean movies and tv shows is that they're not afraid to really harshly criticize capitalism. Oh, yeah. And and it's interesting because it's South Korea. It's in the shadow of North Korea, this totalitarian communist state. So you would think, and it's a capitalist society, you would think that it would uh, show uh, a reverence for capitalism if only because is opposition to uh, communism, which is, like I said, literally just across the border. But no, I mean, Squid Games is such a searing critique of capitalism and the dog-eat-dog world of capitalism and how uh, only the strong survive, and if they survive, they must deserve it because otherwise they wouldn't survive, which is what succession is all about. So I'm with you 100% on this. Uh, Hats off (laughs) to Squid Games. I had my ups and downs with it, but overall, I thought, I mean, it would go off the rails a little bit from time to time, but I just just thought it was such a uh, a much-needed critique and criticism of capitalism that we don't get in this country, in my humble opinion, because like I said, in this country, we love it. If you're rich, you must be doing something right, as opposed to being some broke-ass reader-writer like <laughs> me. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, Ramana, great job. Uh, it's a blast talking TV shows and movies with you. Uh, and tonight, uh, believe it or not, my wife and I were talking about, I don't know if we made chicken out because of COVID, uh, to go see West Side Story, and uh, which I'm dying to see. I love West Side Story. And I 
can't believe I love it so much. I think so you should go. The, just the, just wear your mask. I think I I don't know. Last two times I went to the theater, um, there was I don't know if you go to a matinee, it's fewer people, like at four or five o'clock. I think you'll be fine. I'll be wearing two masks. Yeah, okay? double mask. Uh, yeah. Double mask. So, all right, uh, Ramon Hussein, thank you very much. Uh, have a safe and healthy New Year's, and we'll Me talk too. to you in the year 2022, all right? Yep, take care. All right, that's Ramon Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>